The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hey, this is Matt Landry, the voice of Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars The Clone Wars. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars. This is where the fun begins. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, Episode 149. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember... The Force will be with you, always. Hi, I'm Robert King, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away. From movies to books, TV shows, and more, we're looking at the deeper themes and meanings found in Star Wars. Today, we'll be discussing The Bad Batch, Episode 9 of Season 2. Joining me today on the panel are Joshua Beagley and Jason Yuji. Hello, Josh. Hello, hello. And good to see you again, Jason. I'm glad to be here. Right on. Well, let's just get into it. This episode of The Bad Batch is titled The Crossing, and it sees our crew, minus Echo, who is off working with Rex, landing on an unnamed planet covered with red red sandstone canyons like those of the American Southwest. Sid has sent them to collect a volatile liquid mineral called Ipsium from a mine she's recently purchased. But as they're working, a mysterious thief breaks into their ship, the Marauder, and steals it. So, the Batch have to march toward the nearest spaceport. A storm catches up to them, and not only do they lose their Ipsium, it explodes and traps them in a different mine where they've taken shelter. They continue playing the blame game that they've kind of been playing all episode, and Omega is particularly upset with Tech, who doesn't understand why she misses Echo and wants the Marauder, their home, back. They find some more Ipsium in the cave, though, and that leads them to a way out, but not before Tech and Omega have a little heart-to-heart, or at least a heart-to-head. When they finally reach the spaceport, they find it abandoned, but they're able to get a message out to Sid, who refuses to help them. They're going to have to figure this one out on their own. And that's where the episode leaves us this week. So a little bit of a cliffhanger there. As usual, there's a lot packed into this 30 minutes of animation, right? But I think a good place to start is this episode, like from the very first fade in, it felt like an unabashed homage to old Hollywood and and Italian Westerns, Um, just like those guitar notes on the soundtrack, even as it faded in and the landscape and everything. What, What did you guys think about that? atmospheric choice they made i don't really you know that was never really my genre of movies growing up but i've certainly seen them so Mm -hmm. it was obvious that that's what they were going for you know with the the uh washed out crevices in the mountains and 
canyons and the landscape, the scenery was just beautiful. It almost looked like it was a photograph. You know, I can't imagine how long it took somebody to paint that inside of a computer program. I don't know how they do that, but man, that must have <laughs> taken a long time because it was beautiful. It's hard to crawl inside those computers with the paintbrushes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll agree on that. It definitely looked beautiful. The music to me felt out of place. It's like as it was fading in and I heard the music, I'm like, I am watching Star Wars, right? <laughs> It, it just it didn't have the same sort of feel as most Star Wars, and also whenever you think of like the Western Star Wars, you think of like Boba Fett kind of thing, where sure. it's very much like an outlandish like Tatooine kind of thing of all these like lawless people, and not so much like a country Western. I guess is what proper term for an episode like this would have been <laughs> i saw some tiebacks to mandalorian in it i mean mandalorian the like the very first two episodes when they go to what is it Ar- arvala five where he finds grogu the first time mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of western themes in that and mm-hmm. you know everybody automatically is like oh it's a new space western you know <laughs> kind of like the original Star Wars, everybody called it the space Western. Yeah. And, and I mean, one of the things about the original trilogy, um, they really borrowed from, from Westerns as well as like samurai movies and war movies and, and kind of blended all those genres together. Um, and that's kind of what made that unique feel, but yeah, they, they kind of went all in on, this is a Western for the feel of this one. And, um, at least when they were outside the mines, inside the mines, maybe a little bit different. Like the music changed at the very end when they blow mm-hmm. their way out of the that second mine. Mm-hmm. The music changes back to the Western. I mean, it's a distinct difference. Yeah. Yeah. So, Josh, you found that a little distracting. Jason, did you also <laughs> think it was like off tone for what you expected or you know did it watching all these disney plus shows that they've been doing it they've been doing this a lot you know that in andor they did not andor uh mandalorian season two they had all the different episodes like you had your samurai uh when ahsoka was in the 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 jedi episode Mm -hmm. when ahsoka was fighting the magistrate every episode that they've been doing has some sort of genre tie. So I really wasn't surprised that, that they have gone back to the Western theme again. Yeah, that's interesting. I I don't, I don't think I'd say it distracted me, but it definitely caught my attention and made me think, Oh, they're doing a Western this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that's always kind of interesting. I was looking for like specific references. Um, like you guys, Westerns weren't my favorite genre, but they were a favorite of my dad's. So I've seen more than my share of John Wayne and Clint Eastwood movies. Uh, right. And, but I didn't like catch any like specific Easter eggs or, you know, references to, to particular movies. Um, the only reference I can think of is like a Lion King stampede that happened. Yeah. That's yeah. about the only reference that I got out of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think stampedes will forever be 
associated with the Lion King for yeah. for a lot of people, especially when record jumps down, you mm-hmm. know, is about to get trampled. Yeah, his only complaint: oh my back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that was good. Another kind of trope of the Western is the the mining and and so mining for something valuable. They're not gold mining or silver mining, but but they are ipsium mining. Um, what what did you guys think of of the whole ipsium kind of premise of the of the episode? Well, there's an, a something that Disney Plus has been, or well, Disney's been doing a lot too. They they have all these different uh, minerals throughout the galaxy because they had coaxium and solo. Now they right. have Ipsium and Bad Batch and Rhydonium right. and Mandalorian. What do these things do? And they're all in their raw form. They're all explosive. So how did anybody even know to mess with them without blowing up? You know. How many people died <laughs> trying to figure these things out? <laughs> but what do they do? They never tell us what they do. They're all important. They're all expensive, but nobody's ever done it. Told us what the, to do with the them. Rhydonium in the Mandalorian. I think that was starship fuel of some kind, wasn't it? Oh, maybe. I think I don't. I don't remember. But I'll yeah, have to go check before Mandalorian comes out next week. I'll have to go check. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. I think this is the first mention of Ipsium. It is. I think it is, yeah. I don't know. I just think of it as another reason for them to just have an adventure. It was not so much about the mineral, too, because it's also just like Tech comes in. He's like, oh, yeah, there's some deposits all the way down there we got to go get to. Like, he just has everything on his Tech, so he just, like, knows where it is, and then they trust the kid to just go in and just start drilling it. Yeah. Well, it all it made this made me think. What, what would he do if he ever lost that little scanner thing he had? Man, <laughs> that guy would be lost. <laughs> he he uses it for absolutely everything. He knows where they're at. You know, has all their coordinates. He finds the Ipsium. He finds everything. He was able to race the you know the different pod racers in that one episode. You know, with that little scanner, he could do it all. He doesn't really have much of a challenge when it comes to like trying to mine for gold. Basically, he's just like, "Yep, there it is." Yeah, that would be a really interesting tech episode, I think, to take it away from him and and, <laughs> mm-hmm. and see how he see how he get, does gets along. That'd be wild. Yeah, I I am really curious if the Ipsium is just gonna be sort of a a throwaway thing, or or if it's if it's maybe going to be important to the plot further down along the line. Um, well, Sid didn't seem to care at the end. Yeah. She wasn't thinking, oh, man, now I'm not getting my Ipsium. <laughs> she yeah. was like, oh, sorry, guys. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to talk about with Sid, but but yeah, there's a kind of distinct lack of concern about... About uh, getting her Ipsium, which I would have expected her to It's like, I don't care about you guys, but get me my Ipsium. Um, yeah. But uh, I I did a little research myself and um, because I, I don't know, I I did take a little bit of Latin in school. Um, I, I don't know how your guys' Latin is, but uh, Ipsium. Non-existent. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't used it in a few years. <laughs> yeah, um, you're probably familiar with the the phrase ipso facto, um, yep. which you know means like by 
by the fact of the thing itself. And the ipso in that is basically saying itself. And so ipsium is is very close to the, the basic form of that word is ipsum. Um, and so it's almost like they're going into find, uh, you know, find something itself or maybe find themselves is a suggestion I saw some people making. Um, That's interesting. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm not convinced of that because while there's definitely a lot of, um, I don't know, I guess you could call it character mining going on. <laughs> Mm-hmm. it's uh i d- i don't know if they really find themselves uh in in this episode um but i thought that was an interesting connection to make um my my first reaction though was calling it ipsium is is almost like you know uh, uh james cameron calling his special substance unobtainium yeah. it's like uh, it's a little like lazy and on the nose. Um, I don't know if you guys have opinions about, about that. I'm just spouting my own opinion at this point. Uh, I didn't really think too much of it again. It was just sort of like them mining for gold, just sort of staying with that Western part. I don't think it really meant much. I mean, maybe we'll see later that the mineral actually like does something important. Maybe it'll help them get off the planet, but like, I just didn't really see it as very important. It was more so the character development that they were trying to do, but also kind of just brushed off a bit. Because mm-hmm. I feel like with tech, they were like, try to be empathetic. And then he's just like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about that. Let's, let's talk a little more about tech because this is in a lot of ways, a tech episode again. And they've had a couple of tech episodes this season, mm-hmm. and so they they seem to be really focusing on developing his character. But yeah, yeah, say, say a little more, Josh, about that that arc you see for him. So what happened was he said something about like losing Echo that upset Omega because he didn't really seem to care about it, and he was. Omega went off on her own, and then Hunter was like, you gotta go check in on her, because you you're the one who caused her to be upset. You know, like, just doing the right thing of making sure that they're still okay at the end of the day. And, um, whenever he goes and finds her, she's found another Ipsium deposit, mm-hmm. and she's starting to mine for it, and then Instead of like talking about the emotions, he's he's just like, you, we could use all of that Ipsium you found and just like keep mining for it. And it didn't really seem like the problem got addressed even after they fell into the water and sort of like went through that whole mm-hmm, mm-hmm. part. And then after she was just like, why don't you miss Echo? Or yeah, Echo. And she's like, because we're soldiers, and we're not supposed to miss each other. Like we're we're bred for combat, we're gonna die. We no one accept this as like our our thing. He doesn't really change his stance. He just explains it to Omega that like this is how we are, and that's not going to change at all. So so I have a question about that. Did does their 
the fact that they're clones and they're given the the growth hormones so that they grow twice as fast does that change their puberty does that change their adolescence you know adolescence she that's what she's going through she's going through adolescence she's mm-hmm. trying to learn how to live in the world especially one that she's never been in before but did they were did they go through that on camino so otherwise they're the same age as her how how are they dealing is it just because they look bigger and they look older that they just assume that they're more mature or she assumes they're more mature I think it's well oh oh, go ahead Josh I think it's just because they've gone through the training and they've had that time in like on Camino learning those different skills and then being in a battlefield for so long also gives them a lot more experiences compared to Omega Mm -hmm. who was growing up at a normal speed and staying on Camino and not really getting the same sort of experiences as the Bad Batch themselves. Whenever you sort of get put into experiencing a lot of different things, you're going to learn and mature pretty quickly. Like, I don't think you can really still act like a kid out out in the middle of a war. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I did see that there was a little bit of empathy at the end and I've had that conversation. So in 2014, my dad passed away, but we knew at the beginning of the summer, we kind of had to come, come to grips that that's what was going to happen. And so I had all summer to process that I had, I was able to sit down and start writing a eulogy before he ever passed. So I would be sitting at work on, on my break time, sitting at my computer, you know, writing this stuff and kind of wiping away tears and, you know, so that people didn't see me. And then I'd break was over and I'd go back, I'd turn that off. I'd save it and turn it off and go back to work. So I had Mm. three months to write that before it ever needed to be given so I had all the, all summer to process that and think about it and under, come to grips with it and understand it. But my sister was in Kansas with him. He was living with her and she was having to see it day to day. Mm. So, so she saw it different and she just responds to uh, emotions and stuff like that differently than I do. So she took it as me being cold and callous and not caring because I wasn't showing the same emotions outwardly as she was, but I had already internalized that through being able to write that eulogy over time and express all those emotions and put all those memories into it. So then at the funeral, when I gave that eulogy, she was able to see that I did care, you know, cause then of course the emotions came out when I was given it. So she saw sure. that, Oh, he's not callous. He's not completely an emotional desert, which is where she was thinking I was at, you know, near the end of his life and right before the funeral and stuff. So I could, when I was watching that scene, after they got out of the water, I was watching that scene and I'm like, that was me and my sister where I was trying to explain to her. No, I just, I process it differently than you do. And, and 
I can't change that and you can't change that. But that that's just how it worked out that time. And, you know, now we're both able to un, un, relate to each other. She understands where I'm coming from and she sees that that I do care. And I think that that's sort of what they put into that with Omega and tech. He's never had to deal with emotions. He's done, just gone out and done that, that war thing, the, and just had to, he's watched so many of his fellow clones die. His brothers die that he's just, he has to turn that off and go on with the mission. And she can't understand that. And and for most of his life, that's been uh, not only asked of him, but rewarded. And that's been the thing that everyone points. To. Oh, that's something that he does really well. Um, yeah. And they started that back in episode two of this season when he's on. What is it? Serenian Serenia, where uh, I, I Dooku don't was. remember the name name of the. But he's sitting there with that guy and he's saying, oh, a separatist artifact. And he says, no, Cerulean, Cerulean, whatever that that name is. And he he said, you know, we did exist before the war. And Tech's like, oh, I never saw it that way. So they've been building Tech up to this point from switching from a droid mentality to a human mentality. Yeah, that... um... Well, that kind of connects to what you were saying earlier, Josh, how I I think the clones are actually chronologically younger than Omega. Yeah. um, Season one, Omega said how she watched them like be born in their tubes whenever they went back onto Camino in the end. Right. So, so yeah, there's this, there is this kind of question of, how do they, how do they process differently? How do they mature differently? And I mean, you definitely see like in Wrecker, Wrecker definitely has like a, a childlike, sometimes childish way of relating. Um, and, and that comes out too, again, like in conflict with tech, um, he and tech kind of, they're the main ones playing this blame game, right? It's like, well, you know, you were supposed to be on lookout. Well, you know, the ship wouldn't have got stolen if you'd been watching properly. Well, well, ship and wouldn't have been stolen if you'd parked it. Right, exactly. Um, and they both get like that kind of immature defensive attitude on them. But, um, but yeah, like you were saying, Josh, they also have all of this experience that makes them so they're like simultaneously more mature and less mature than Echo in a lot of ways. I, I think I've been seeing, um, like, especially in a lot of earlier episodes, they've kind of emphasized how um, how Omega, I think I said Echo just a moment ago, I meant Omega, um, <laughs> um, how Omega is, is uh, kind of the heart of the group, and she's like the moral center in a lot of ways. And how she she has a maturity that they don't. And they've been emphasizing that so much. This is the first episode where I really felt like she was a kid, like she's acting her own age. Um, and I don't think we know exactly how old she is, but I'm I'm kind of pegging her around like 12 ish. Yeah, I was thinking maybe 13 or 14. Yeah. 
somewhere in that those early early teens, early adolescence. I don't know. Did what did you think of of like Omega's side of the the emotional dynamic in this episode? I thought very much as how a kid would probably react and respond to the equivalent of like losing someone who was a part of their family. Like yeah. Omega very much stresses like we're a family, we're all together. And they lost their home, her home, because she had a little bedroom in the Marauder and she had that little doll. Mm-hmm. So uh, she lost her home. So she's lost Echo. She's lost her home. You know, I put that into my notes. She lost a lot this time. She, you know, she lost, she's losing. It seems like every couple of episodes, she's losing something else. And mm. I think it's starting to take a toll on her. And then when her, when her house, her bedroom flew away and with no prospects of getting it back, it, you know, sent her into a tailspin. I mean, just, just like the, the movie viewer, the, the TV show watcher in me is, is like, yeah, they're going to get it back eventually. So, so there's a part of me that's like, really like, it's going to be okay, Omega, but, but it's not certain it's going to be okay. It's possible that ship is gone forever. It didn't fall in a pit. So I mean, if, they, it, if they, it were to fall in a pit, we'd know it'd come back. Here, Here's the thing. I loved the razor crest and oh, they too. blew that thing up. <laughs> and that I can't was come deep, back. That can't come back. <laughs> well, we thought um, it wouldn't be able to come back. And, you know, the very first, uh, when the, Jawas took it all apart by the end of <laughs> oh, the yeah. episode. They had put it back together. And I was like, this ship fixed, is, yeah, and this they ship is never it, going fixed away. It again when it, when it fell into the lake or the ocean or whatever, they fixed it again. But yeah, when they destroyed it like that, I was like, oh, that's sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like, man, would they ever do that to the Millennium Falcon? They, I mean, they didn't even do that to Luke's X-Wing, which is, you know, just some random X-Wing that he was assigned, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I don't know. Part of me is like, yeah, they're going to get that ship back, but but I don't know. That would be interesting if they didn't bring it back, because then it would just be like, someone snuck in and stole it. Like, that's not enough of a story for them to lose their ship. I feel like. But I think we're gonna find out who stole it. They look They're, very the, interesting. Whenever like the limited appearance of the person, very much yeah. like a a Fallout scrapper kind of person. I love the sort of feather coverings for, that yeah. might be hair. Might it, be. Yeah. I, I watched it real close, and it didn't. They looked like feathers attached to the hat. Oh, so, okay. So that's why I was thinking it wasn't hair. So whoever it is, is completely concealed. And and that makes me wonder if it's somebody we've seen before. That would be interesting. Yeah. And they got into that ship pretty easily. I mean, even parking it on a basically deserted planet. I think you would still lock the doors, don't you think? If you're going to have to have a lookout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you short, shoot the door panel. It's open then, so. <laughs> All right, I forgot this was Star Wars. <laughs> do you do you guys have any theories about who that mystery thief might have been or 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 maybe who 
was behind the mystery thief who they might be working for. Well, there was a lot of discussion on discord. Uh, I've seen, are you guys on discord? I've, I think I've seen Josh on there. Uh, oh, yeah. I've talked a few there, times. there was a lot of discussion on there. I've heard in infus nest and, but I'm still on Hondo camp. I think it's a young Hondo. Huh? That's, that's a d- nice theory. I like that one. Cause then I, that would tie, uh, Clone Wars, Bad Batch, Rebels, because he was in all, all. He was in the other two, so we haven't seen him in Bad Batch yet. Would Would he be that young though? No, I guess no. I just now realized that he was in Cl- Clone Wars. He was so maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I I think it looked a little small to be Hondo himself, but it might be one of Hondo's minions. Maybe. And I know there are Hondo haters out there, but I am. I love Hondo. I I think he's hilarious, and and I love him. Oh, me too. Um, Favorite pirate out there. (laughs) (laughs) He's like good in a bad way, you know? Yeah, yeah. And bad in a good way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I like Hondo a lot. Um, I think that's that's an interesting theory. Um, I've seen a lot of people talking about how it's actually, it might actually be somebody who's working for Sid. Like Sid is maybe already setting them up. And that's why we, she was so cold and callous at the end. Maybe. Never thought of it that way. That's cool. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I intended to just strand them out there. So I don't I mean, you think about it. How much profit has the Bad Batch brought her over the past? Well, let's say all this season. They keep failing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They keep coming up empty handed at best. Except for uh, with um, Malegi. You know, they, they get her out of the the race bet. They still end up with nothing other than, you know, not having to owe and not being killed, you know. But they they went home empty-handed otherwise. Also, sort of with the pod race episode, um, the guy kept telling them, the Bad Batch, like, watch their back with Sid. Has Sid's gonna drop him, basically. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this could be that starting to happen. And also branching them away from being these mercenaries and into more of their own group of people. Cause they can't just keep doing these missions forever. And I think it's another way of them trying to advance the plot by making them no longer be understood and have them go under their own development a little bit more to figure out what really is their next job and their purpose. Do you think they'll end up going to Captain Rex and joining his band of merry adventurers or, or, or like you guys had mentioned on the Gunji episode, helping the way mm-hmm. with the Jedi. Maybe if he joins Rex, that means we watch echo die. And I don't want to see that. So, yeah, but especially if uh, it turns out that they figure out that, Omega is force sensitive. They may have to, because it's not just Jedi that escaped order 66. They're trying to help all the force sensitives be detected by Vader and the inquisitors. So, uh, if Omega is force sensitive, they might have to try to get her to safety at Mm -hmm. some point. I kind of feel like Omega is to the bad batch. What Grogu is to the Mandalorian. Like, I I don't even if she is force sensitive, I don't think she's going to leave the crew, at least not until like the series finale. 
right. you know that 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 might be what the series finale does is it, it it gives omega a step into her own future um which which could be a really interesting future i mean i i expect it'll be an interesting future whether she she's force sensitive or not um i'm still a little on the fence about about that question at first i thought she might be but whenever they said that she's an unaltered clone i don't think that she can be force sensitive if she's a direct clone from Django. Well, I mean, are the midichlorians something that's genetically inherited or are they something that kind of, do they choose a, a particular person? I mean, well, Starkiller got cloned and he then had the same midichlorian count as before, but also that's legends. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, in episode one, Phantom Menace, the, they're always asking who's his father and you know, who's his parents, what's his lineage, stuff like that. Yeah. So there seems to be some, but then in, you know, when the, the Jedi where, what is the name of that little series? The little shorts, um, oh, the Dooku animated and, ones or the, the, yeah, Dooku and Ahsoka. Tales yeah, of yeah, the Jedi. Tales of the Jedi. Tales of the Jedi, yeah. Uh, everybody in their little community was completely shocked that Ahsoka was going to be Jedi. Nobody expected it, so... Yeah, yeah, and and if it was, like, strictly uh, inherited or genetic, you would almost expect the Jedi to have this, like, Bene Gesserit-style breeding program to... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, breed the next generation of Jedi. And Sith would do the same thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's, I don't know if it's a, you know, a contradiction in Star Wars or just a, you know, a mystery yet to be revealed, but... um, They may reveal it in season three of The Mandalorian, because the trailers had uh, Dr. Pershing still in it. Yeah. The cloning scientist for the Empire. Yeah. So, that could be something that's found out more of... I am fully expecting that whole cloning plot just to be there to explain the really horrible writing of somehow Palpatine returned. <laughs> um, like, like this is Disney's, you know, five-year plan to plug that plot hole. But, um, but I, I don't know. I'm maybe I'm too much of a cynic in that way mm-hmm. because because cloning was a big part of the legends. Um, well, yeah, and the. I think it was one of the very first novels, if not the first novel that, that Zahn did back in, you know, 91 or whatever it was. And that's what included Mount Tantus. And that was at the very end of like the, basically the post credit scene in uh bad batch season one. So, mm. and Mount Tantus is where in, in that legends book, that's where, a lot of the cloning was done for Palpatine. So interesting. I'm, I'm still, since they put it in Canon in that episode, I'm still waiting to see if it comes back this season in bad batch. Well, that is, that is definitely something worth following. I had not known that. And it, uh, I'm, I'm not a big follower of legends. So, um, I haven't read a lot but, of them, but I did read that first, uh, heir to the empire trilogy. I mean, that, that kind of throws a whole new light on, on that mountain because because that's the mountain where they were rec- rescuing the the decommissioned 
clones and where the the new stormtroopers were being like developed and, and trained and such. Is that right? In in the Bad Batch series? No, at the end it's um it's where they take Nalase. Nalase is the the main scientist. Mm-hmm. And so th- they took her there and everybody that was there and had, you know, she was basically a captive, but they all had the same cloning symbols on their sleeves that Dr. Pershing did. Okay. So that's what makes me think that it that's all tying to the cloning stuff and that I'm still waiting for some sort of tie in between Nalase being there and Dr. Pershing being there, you know, 20 years later or whatever it is. Yeah. That'd be interesting to see what sort of will develop with that. For now, that's only speculation, though. Mm-hmm. Well, we're on a podcast. Let's speculate. <laughs> I mean, that's our job, right? What, that's our job. Yeah, um, I guess it's true. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to me as as a like it was the original trilogy that that like captured my heart and and developed me as a fan and. Um, and the Clone Wars was this kind of throwaway line yeah. in there. And now it's becoming like the major plot line that ties everything together. And um, so like as as a fan of the original trilogy, for me, what tied it all together was the force. And and so seeing the the cloning thread as as tying it all together part of me wants to say hey hey you're getting my star wars wrong that's not <laughs> what star wars is about and, and at the same time i definitely get annoyed at like the fans who say well this is not my star wars yeah. or, or you know or my whatever their fandom is Do you get to make um, the movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And 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 it's like, you know, you you got to you got to let the people who are creating the art do what they're doing. Yeah. And, but I I do think it would be I I do think it would be important to connect the cloning thread to the whole notion of the force as what binds this galaxy together. When uh when the prequels came out before the prequels came out, I had always thought of star Wars as about Luke Skywalker. Sure. Then, uh, the prequels came out and I'm like, okay, well now all six movies are about Darth Vader and his son, you know, his son's sort of the secondary, all the movies are about Anakin. And then the sequels came out and it turns out, no, it was all about the emperor. Yeah. (laughs) The Skywalkers (laughs) were just involved. Yeah. It's, it's, that's fascinating too, the way the way each sort of set of trilogies recasts the the ones that came before. It definitely changes the perspective, like how you grew up. It was like it was the Force, like how you said, Rob. And then for me, it was like I saw the the original or not the original. I saw one through six growing up, and then it's like then I get added on with the sequels whenever I'm in like my twenties now and you see that it's just like, this definitely doesn't seem the same as how like I knew star Wars at my time. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely like, there's definitely that changing point too, where it's just like different times. It's appealing to a different audience and it's furthering a different story and it's slightly changing it as 
like time goes on, but in the end, it's still the same. Still the same space group. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of the division that I've seen in it came when the prequels were made and George Lucas left a lot of the stuff that was, you know, Disney calls it legends. He left a lot of the stuff that was in the books alone and, mm-hmm. and essentially changed some of the stuff. And so for the people that were really into the books, they considered it an offense as to what George Lucas had done to basically disassemble all the books that had been written. And mm-hmm. like I was talking to one guy and man, that just, that was his sticking point and he just couldn't get past it. And now he won't accept anything that's Disney's doing. He won't accept any of this new stuff. He never went and saw the tri- the sequel trilogy. He was just done because they took that away. But I'm like I said, I, to him and I and I just mentioned a minute ago I don't get to make those movies so mm-hmm. I accept the fact that whatever story they're going to give me I'm going to sit down and watch it because I'm a Star Wars nerd yeah <laughs> I mean just as a as a matter of PR Disney handled that transition so badly yeah they you know they could have done more or less what what uh, Marvel movies did, which was say, hey, we're going to be making some movies that are basically inspired by the comics, but it's it's not the same continuity. And they could have done the same things. It's like, you know, we're going to we're going to treat these all these books as, you know, inspirations, but the movies we're making are not the same continuity as as those books. And and, you know, kind of like honor honor the what all those other artists had done before without needing to be bound by it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they, they said, no, we are decanonizing <laughs> all of those. And, and it's like, Oh man, that's that, that is slapping, slapping them in the face. Yeah. But especially with Filoni and Favreau, they have been bringing some of that stuff back, you know, like Thrawn, yeah. Thrawn came back in rebels and then they wrote a whole new series of books for him. Now that yeah. I think they've got sick two two new trilogies and, uh, and then Mount Tantus, you know, it was in the original Thrawn's trilogy. So uh, they're bringing these things back into canon when it makes sense in their timeline. And there were, I remember in rebels, there was one line that Ahsoka gives and it says where she says, there's always truth in legends. And you know, it was, <laughs> they were basically saying they're going to bring some stuff into Canon. Yeah, no. And I, I think that's, I think that's a good approach to, to take. Um, and, and for the most part, I mean, I think, like the only thing that Disney has completely flubbed was the sequel trilogy itself. Um, but like, like I've got nitpicks about probably everything, but because I'm a nitpicker, but, um, (laughs) but yeah, I, I think Disney has basically been, you know, doing a decent job with star Wars. Um, but yeah, it's it's like undeniable that in, that their initial statement about it was was just horrible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, this I think they've done a lot better with the TV shows and the TV series rather than the movies. 
Mm-hmm. But I mean, even with some of the TV series, there are a lot of stand like non-developing episodes, like just fillers. Mm-hmm. I mean, but also that's how the Clone Wars was for a while. It was just a lot of adventures that had happened, and then towards like seasons like five, six, and seven, it yeah. actually became more of like a we're gonna round off these characters that we've been talking about for so long. So, so kind of to pull us back to the Bad Batch, <laughs> you <laughs> we know, got off track the thing we're bit, talking we? about today. <laughs> um. Let's let's talk about like how how do you think this episode does connect? You know, I I know like I've seen a lot of people complaining that oh there are a lot of filler episodes in this season of the Bad Batch, but like one of the things that kind of ties them together for me is undercutting Sid as an ally and maybe even setting her up as an antagonist, um, which is. Yeah, we we were talking about who sent the mystery thief and and Sid is a possibility. Um I get I don't know, could be sent by Admiral Rampart or something, maybe. But but you know, how is Sid kind of tying these filler episodes together, maybe? Or what else might be tying them together? You you guys kinda of mentioned that uh I, I think it all has to yeah. go with the the other clones and the you know, the last two episodes, that's maybe that's why they released them the same day was because they were so tied to the central. And it's right in the middle of the season that mm-hmm. those are the central. Literally, they're telling us this is the central issue is the Empire is going to do away with all the clones and they don't even consider them citizens. And so I think that the Bad Batch is going to get up involved in that. Now, are we going to see a full full fledged? battles i don't I, I don't know about that but you know certainly try to get him off to safety like rex is doing i think that's where it's going and then sid pushing him away is going to lead him in that direction because they need something to do they wouldn't be able to just go like like their friend cut in the last episode went and had a family i don't think that these guys are going to be able to just go find a a nice little quiet planet and live the rest of their life i think they would freak out <laughs> fair enough i don't know i feel like this episode could set up like a nice ending of the season for the next like half of it but the first part was the first half was definitely a lot of filler and i could see this episode going either way and i guess it's the nice thing about leaving it off on a cliffhanger is that like we don't really know where it's gonna go whether sid's gonna actually get them these ration or like their ship and get him back off world and treat him right. Well, the next episode is called the retrieval. So then I'm assuming they're going to get saved, hopefully, or I would would think, or then they might have, you know, they could kill them all and have to change the name of the series. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, that would be a very dark move for Disney. (laughs) Maybe crosshair comes to get him. I mean, of Man. all people to to retrieve them, that would be really interesting. We haven't we haven't seen Crosshair in a while. Could be could be Rex. Yeah, we've only seen him in the one episode. Now that I think about it, we haven't seen much of Crosshair at all this season. Nope. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just his one episode. How would he fit in for the rest of it? Because as far as I know, the Empire doesn't know that they're alive after Camino. Still, 
Right, he does, but they don't. The rest Rampart knows. Yeah, Rampart and Crosshair know. Yeah, Rampart's basically dead now from the last episode, or he's in jail. So, yeah, he's in. He's out of the picture. (laughs) In trouble. (laughs) Is he though? I don't know. If the Emperor has guards arrest you publicly, you're probably not in good shape. (laughs) Okay. Granted that, but in story terms, he, he, I wouldn't count him out in terms of having action that he can do and, um, and playing a role. That, that whole thing could have been a setup for, for the Senate. I mean, um, um, who was he? Uh, Agent Callus in mm-hmm. Rebels, you know, he, he turned and joined the Rebels. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder if Rampart might do something. I mean, I I can't see him joining like Rex's uh, escape route for the for the clones or anything, but I could see him like uh, escaping, abandoning the Empire, and doing something different. Well, I kept predicting the same thing for Cyril and Andor, and I I think I'm all out all off base on that now. So, <laughs> mm, yeah, I. I that is one of the things I am most curious about for, for season two of Andor is what's going to happen with, with, uh, Ciro and De- Cyril and Dedra. Um, and, and I'm not talking romantically. I'm talking like, like, you know, where, where are their plot? Where, where is their plot going? Um, I really, I really am hoping and praying that they do not connect them romantically. Um, because that that would just be so squicky. <laughs> I had one more thing to mention about um, the Bad Batch's growth and stuff, or or, yeah, or lack yeah. thereof, maybe. Um, Wrecker, he's really. It seems like he's not allowed to share his emotions. That Wrecker, yeah, huh. he. So he he has to keep everything bottled up you know he's he's de- he's always the one doing the heavy lifting but he's all you know he's you kind of notice he's as a second he's worried about his back and you know his muscles and getting old and uh when when they the stampedes happen and they're like you need to uh you need to go protect that ipsium he's like what about protecting me <laughs> You know, so I think that he start he's starting to show a little bit that, you know, why am I just am I just the muscle and I don't get to have any thoughts and feelings either? So I think I'm 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 wondering if we're gonna start to see something there. He he's kind of like did you guys see Encanto? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's kind of the, the Louisa of the you yeah, know the older sister, yeah. Yeah, the mm-hmm. the one who carries everything. Yeah. Right. Oh. Yeah. I didn't really notice that. I saw it more so as him just doing what he's sort of told and being just the muscle of the group of being the one who's the biggest and could protect the FCM from blowing up and doing his part in the group. I didn't really think about his emotions there as well. I think they're being pushed down by everybody else. You know, he's trying to give little hints and pieces that you know, why am I always the one having to do this? And, you know, I think it's starting to take a toll on him. I, I have been seeing like, I, I and I, I think the rest of the group does kind of 
treat him as, oh, you're the muscle. You're the big dumb guy. The big dumb guy. Yeah. Yeah. And he's not like he's 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 not that intelligent in some ways, but he's not stupid. And he's he's pretty insightful in some other ways. I think he's able to connect to Omega a lot better than everybody else. I think he's able to he's talk a lot to closer her. to his emotions. Yeah. 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 And also he's very much still a pieces to his child, his childhood side of acting young and dumb yeah. and doing re- yeah. reckless things. Why does he get to shoot the Ipsium? Yeah. <laughs> because it requires precision. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, um, I mean, he, in, in a subtle way, I think they're, I, well, what Hunter's been doing is um, it feels like Hunter is just like, okay, guys, we got to keep it together. We got to just keep pressing forward with the mission. And and it seems like Hunter's getting a little um, spread thin himself mm-hmm. trying to hold everybody together. And and I wonder if they're setting up kind of a... a that the stress all of this is taking on the group of them, but you know, on each of them individually, um, but also as, as a group, as a squad, um, it feels like they're breaking up from each other. It feels like this is a, a family that's about to shatter. Well, it, um, yeah, it reminds me of a lot of movies that I've seen where that happens in the middle of the movie where the family has a fallen out. And then at the end of the movie, they all make up and everybody's happy again. So maybe something like that's coming this season or, or they leave it as a cliff cliffhanger for a third season that, you know, everybody kind of goes their separate ways for a little bit. And then they come back when something else happens later. I mean, I mean, that's how they kind of left the first season was, you know, are we going to get back together with Crosshair? Crosshair is coming back to us. We're back together. And Crosshair deci- decides to go his own separate way. And, mm-hmm. and in a way, maybe we are seeing like the fallout from that. Yeah. You know, that, that first break in the family, that's, that's kind of like in a windshield, it's sending its cracks across all the rest of the windshield, mm-hmm. which I mean, for a show that feels like, it's very much targeted at children. It also seems very much targeted at adults who, you know, have this experience of, of hurt and loss and, yeah. and trauma in their lives. Um, yeah. There's a lot of themes that I don't think kids would quite understand. I don't know. I, I definitely want to see them work through this and come back together. And I really, really want to see crosshair, the other thing I want to see for at least a season finale, if not a, they may hold it off for the series finale, but I do want to see Crosshair integrated back into the group. But, but again, that's the, that's the part of me that just wants a happy ending for everything, right? Yeah. One of the, one of the things about life is not all endings are happy. I wonder if, sort of like how they would do it then also for Crosshair is, now that they're trying to phase out this, the whole clones, how that's going to work for him and how he'd get involved into that. And he's not getting missions from Rampart anymore. 
<laughs> no. No. So maybe next episode will be of him and sort of see. I don't think we see his the next episode for Bad Batch until after The Mandalorian, too. I, I believe there's another one dropping this Wednesday. Yep. 22nd. Um, so then we have one episode and then we'll have Mandalorian and then and Bad back Batch to the Bad same Batch. day. Yeah. But here on the podcast, we'll be discussing Mandalorian specifically until after that season's over. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a future look for listeners. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, it's I don't know. There's there's a lot going on. And, and one of the things I love about doing this podcast and talking with you guys is like talking through it really brings out like all of the layers of of um of meaning that are put into these you know these 30 minute animations they're they're not that long but but we talk about them for an hour and we end up with you know too much to say um (laughs) it's i i the you know we talk about the kind of the the theme that's arising out of the whole series right now is is this idea of you know the humanity of the clones and the humanity of the bad batch themselves and and dealing with these struggles of how do you how do you hold on to your ideals and how do you live a dignified life in this world that is very much not helping you you know not treating you with dignity and not treating you with um, respect and not giving you what you need to live. Yeah. Like Hunter said in the Gunji episode, you know, these guys don't get to be kids in this world. Yeah. You know, in this galaxy, they don't get to be kids. And I mean, because we've gone like almost an hour without dropping any kind of explicit Catholic reference. I mean, this is, this is one of the things that I love about Catholic social teaching, right? is how it just grounds absolutely everything on the first priority is the dignity of the human person. Yeah. And, um, and that basically everything that's wrong with society is ignoring the basic dignity of the human person. Um, and, and we're kind of seeing that played out in, in real time in the bad batch. Oh, another thing I've seen, at least, is a lot of a family relation. Again, yeah, seen that of a family. Like, if you have a good upbringing, and you have a family with like a centralized belief and focus, or even with like a team of people with a centralized focus. Everyone sort of fills into their part, and it works really well. But like, once you sort of lose that like centerpiece, everything sort of starts to crumble away. Yeah. And I feel like that's something we're definitely seeing happen of there's no more war, there's no more clones, there's no more crosshair, everyone's going their separate ways now because they don't know what to do with themselves anymore without without like the one thing that made them whole. Yeah. Well or or if that one central thing is is corrupted or twisted, mm-hmm. right? You know, if the thing that holds you together as a family is war and we're soldiers, you know, the what or, um, Omega said to, to Tech in this episode, you know, he said, you know, we're soldiers. That's that's what we do. Um, and she said, but no, we're more than that. We're family. 
aren't we? And tech, you know, really kind of thought that through for a moment before, before answering. And, and I thought that was, that was a key moment. Yeah. It made him have to realize that, that they were a human family. I think that's the moment where, where like up to that point, he was kind of defending himself and, and like sticking to just the facts. But that's the first time he kind of changed or, or that's, that's when he acknowledged that I'm doing things differently than you, but I also have feelings Mm -hmm. and, and started to connect with Omega in, in that way. Well, we have been talking for almost an hour. We should (laughs) probably wrap this up. Any, any final thoughts from, from either of you on, on this episode or, or the bad batch in general, because like I said, there's a lot to talk about. I see this next episode is going a lot of different ways. And I feel like the second half is going to have a lot more drama and action in it than we've seen the rest of this entire season. I think it's going to be tied in more. We might get one or two filler episodes, but I think it's going to be a lot more tied in. Well, I'll hold you to those predictions. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Well, thank you both. This has been a great conversation. Um, At this point, we'd like to take a moment to thank, thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create secrets of star Wars. And this week we'd like to include Joel D Joseph D Jeffrey B Ben and autumn B and Catherine M their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of star Wars and all the other shows at Starquest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Please subscribe to our podcast in uh, pretty much any platform you like. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or on our YouTube channel, the SQPN YouTube channel. You can find previous episodes of Secrets of Star Wars, and you can also send us some feedback. Uh, You go to our website sqpn.com slash star wars or send us an email at star wars at sqpn.com you can also follow us on social media we're on facebook at facebook.com slash starquest media or on twitter at sqpn and the, we mentioned earlier there's a lot of activity on the discord community at sqpn.com slash discord and you can join our server there So next time we will be discussing, uh, yeah, part two ish of, but we're going to see where this episode goes. The next uh, episode is titled retrieval. And I hope one way or another, it brings our heroes back home until then, Jason, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of star Wars. Thanks for letting me be a star Wars nerd. (laughs) Always. Um, Josh, Thanks for uh, being on the panel. It's great to talk with you. I'm happy to be here. Right on. And I've been Robert King. Thank you for listening to Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. Find the show wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash 
mysterious.